0: You didn't. It's your fault. I've never seen that to be so much as that skinny kid does there behind you. But he stays skinny. I'm gonna follow him around, try to figure out the secret, Then maybe I'll write a book on it. Well, it's a delight to be back again. Thank you for sticking around. Open your Bibles this morning, this afternoon, please, and I'll probably say tonight a whole bunch of times uh, to Second Timothy chapter four. Second Timothy chapter 4. And again, ladies, thank you. Uh, I don't know whether to thank you or criticize you. Now, thank you for all that wonderful, wonderful food. Uh, and I'll get critical later on, uh, after I get on the scale. And see how much. Of course, that's not your fault. That's not your fault, it's the pastor's. <laughs> I'm only kidding. Uh, thank you for that food. Uh, this week... Uh, Friday, Saturday, today, God bless you. What a ministry, that is a ministry, Uh, adding to the preacher. (laughs) And I appreciate it so much. And thank you, church, for the nice place to stay and your hospitality. And it's always a great privilege to come up here and be with my friend, Brother Booher. Booher, not Booher, Booher. And uh, I appreciate him. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you're able to, would you stand with me please in reverence to the public reading of the Word of God. I'm going to read beginning with verse 6. Every single time that the Apostle Paul talks about life and the shortness of it and going to heaven and the second coming, he always points out the fact that he's thoroughly convinced that he's going to be alive when Jesus returns. He said, describing the rapture, then we, himself and others, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together. Every time it's the same way. However, when he writes this, he knows he has very few days left. He's getting older, and he's in prison, and he's on death roll. Sentence has been passed, and he's going to be executed. could be any day now. And so here's how he writes, beginning with verse 6. I'm now ready. It changes this tune a little bit. I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Well, that's a good testimony, isn't it? Faithful to the fight, faithful to the finish, faithful to the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Which the Lord the righteous judge shall give to me at that day. Notice what he says. Not to me only. But unto all them that love his appearing. as a special crown. For those who love and look for. And live in the light of. His appearing. The rapture. And he talks about it there. Heavenly Father. I pray thy blessing on the evening service today. I pray that every ear would be attentive, every mind open, and every heart receptive to thy precious word. And I pray for your grace to minister to every need represented in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. I promised you this morning, and I'm going to do an unusual thing for an evangelist. I'm going to keep my promise. I would preach on the trumpet that's out of the case. I've tried to emphasize on the Sunday school hour and in the morning service that the next major event on God's calendar of time is that event we call the rapture of the church. The word rapture is not a Bible word, but it's not a bad word. It's not wrong to use a non-Bible word to describe a Bible doctrine if it accurately does so. The word eternal security is not in the Bible, but the doctrine of eternal security is. Uh, the word, the word um, surrender. I surrender all. Not in the Bible. But the idea of surrendering. Throwing up the white flag uh, to Him is. And so there are many words that are not in the Bible, but they're good words. Now the word rapture is actually a transliteration. And what that means is we changed a few words so we Americans could pronounce it a little easier. It's a transliteration of a Latin word, rapturo, which means to snatch out or to seize by force. I do not know what the rapture is? The Bible describes it as when Jesus comes back to the, and this is, this is you know, repetition to understand that, but I've got to use it to lay a foundation. When Jesus Christ comes back from heaven to the atmosphere of our clouds. Then come all the way to earth at that point. And he resurrects the dead in Christ. Brings with him the souls of those who have gone on. Resurrects their bodies. Fashions them like unto his glorious body. And reunites their bodies with their souls in the heavens. Now the Bible does not say we will look like Christ. But it does say we will be like Christ when that occurs. And then in an instant, that quick, quicker than that. In a period of time so small, it looks like one and the same event. Uh, We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now that's the rapture. If you're living, it's a rapture. If If you've already died, it's a resurrection. But it's really one and the same. Now, um... The the rapture, the doctrine of the rapture is is not found anywhere in the Old Testament. Not mentioned one single time. It's not even mentioned with any clarity in the Gospels. Now we often quote that, I mentioned this I think in the Sunday school, and we often quote that passage where Jesus gives his farewell address to the apostles in John 14, 15, and 16. Where Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house and many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, all of you. One place for you. And therefore, since I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, that ye may be also. You and I understand that as rapture. We interpret that as being rapture. And correctly so. However, the disciples did not understand it as rapture. They'd never heard of anything about a rapture before. In fact, they had never heard in the Old Testament about the resurrection from the dead. They've heard about the resurrection of the dead, the subject. But never about some being resurrected and some being left behind. I mean, it hadn't been separated in the Old Testament. So they would not have understood that as rapture. Now, I mentioned to you earlier today that I, I, I'm of the belief that when John wrote it many years later, when he recorded that conversation with the Lord, that he probably understood it as rapture then. The reason being, John wrote the Gospel of John 30 to 50 years after Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So he had access to Paul's epistles. He probably understood it then, but and I can imagine him reading that and saying, oh, that's what that means. Uh, but the fact is, he, he, when Jesus spoke those words, the disciples would not have understood it. The rapture is actually as a doctrine introduced in First Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. Behold, I show you a mystery, Paul said. We shall not all sleep. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, of the last trump, for the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And then he expands on it and gives a lot of detail in that classic passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning of verse 13, where he said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself, I like that Himself part, the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven. With the shout, with well, the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, we which are alive and remain shall be called up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now that's the rapture. That's the next major event on God's calendar of time. I use, Brother you, I, I, I've always believed in preaching on prophecy. I catch myself, the older I get, Preaching more on the second coming of Christ. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Can I just be real frank with you? I'm Andy, but I'll be frank. Um, I'm sure hoping and praying that I don't have to go by coffin. I'd rather go by cloud any day. But the fact is, that's the next major event. And I used to preach all the time on the fact that Jesus coming, I'm talking about the rapture, is Imminent. When we say the coming of Christ is imminent, we're not saying it's going to happen at any moment. We're saying it could happen at any moment. However, the more I preach on it, the more, and the longer I live, the more I catch myself preaching on the on the assurance that His coming is going to be soon, very soon. It would not surprise me in the least. It It would not surprise me in the least if the next major sound we heard was that voice like a trumpet. It would not surprise me in the least if we could break the the sky open and get a glimpse into heaven and look at the throne of God and the throne of Jesus on the right hand side and see that our Lord is not sitting on His throne anymore. But it's in a cloud on the way. Wouldn't surprise me in the least. I'm simply saying, well, I'm thoroughly convinced, not just because I'm an old fogey, but because I read the Bible and believe it, and I read the newspapers. I'm not an avid news follower, but I do try to keep up with current events. And neighbor, to be honest with you, it looks like the rapture is right around the corner. We should not get up saying, "I think the Lord could come today." We should get up in the morning saying, "I believe He is going to come today." And I'm preaching this morning then on not on the imminence of His return, but I'm preaching on the trumpet is out of the case. The trumpet is out of the case. In Matthew chapter 28, you'll find the, 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 the greatest news that has ever been announced, ever been heard up to that point. On that first Easter Sunday morning, two angels appeared at the tomb. They had rolled the stone back and some women came to visit. They didn't come to see the empty tomb. They came to anoint the body of Jesus they thought he'd still be there. And when they found he wasn't there in their surprise, the angels were there. And the angels announced to them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here for he's risen." Now up to that point, that's the greatest news the world has ever heard. Backpedal about three days. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has uh, brought the disciples. He put left, I think it's two or three of them on the outskirts of the garden. The others on the bottom of the hill. he went into the garden a little farther. The Bible says he fell on his face. do not say he knelt with his like the paintings you see with his pinky curled up. Fell on his face, and he prayed for three solid hours with a mini break in between each of the three hours. During his prayer, he was so intense that the Bible says his sweat came through the pores of his skin as blood. I'm told by the medical community, I'm not sure how much, I hope there's no nurses in here, I'm not sure how much of the medical community I trust, but anybody else same way. But the fact is, they tell me, that that's only happened two or three other times in recorded medical history, and every time the sufferer has died from it. But Jesus prayed in great agony. After the third hour, Jesus came and woke up His sleepy Baptist disciples. And He told them the time was at hand. But about that time, Judas Iscariot came out of the woods... And with him, dozens, scores, maybe over a hundred people. They were angry. They were carrying swords and staves and torches and spears. All to, all to arrest one harmless, meek, timid, unarmed individual. I think that was overkill. But they came to arrest Jesus. Jesus. Jesus turned to that crowd in in Matthew twenty-eight verse. Excuse me, Luke twenty-two verse fifty-two. Here's what he said: "Be ye come out as a uh, be ye come out as against a thief." He likened himself in their mind to a thief. The Bible says. And this was, would have been only a few hours later in Matthew twenty-seven, twenty-eight. That when our Lord was crucified, there were two thieves. Thieves crucified with him. Then if you'll fast forward to the epistles, you'll find that Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, that when our Lord returns, he's coming back as a thief. As a thief. In the night. In Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15, Jesus said, referring back to the rapture, Behold, I come as a thief. A thief comes in the darkest hour. A thief comes when others are sleeping. A thief comes when he's the least expected. A thief comes to steal. Precious possessions. When our Lord comes, pardon the expression, but the divine body snatcher is going to get us out of here. Jesus is coming soon. Now, the rapture is called the second coming of Christ to a degree. second advent of Christ seven years later is called the second coming. part we're to be looking for is not the second advent. We'll come back with him then. We're to be looking for the rapture. Jesus called in the coming. He said, I come quickly. John called it the coming. He said, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And when he comes, we're out of here. It'll all be over as far as this life is concerned. Now, if I may, I want to set that aside for just a moment. In the 19th century, the Jews adopted as their symbol... An old 4th century Christian symbol. uh, The star of David. The star of David. You know stars have 5 points. The star of David has 6 points. It's made up of 2 triangles. One of them points up into the air. The other one is upside down inverted. Dead center over the other one points down. The star that points up they say, symbolizes God, Uh, the the triangle. The triangle that points down, they say, symbolizes fallen man. Now the Jews have a national anthem. Their national anthem is called (laughs) Hatikva. Don't ask me to say that again. Hatikva. That word means hope. And in their minds, their hope is the coming of the Savior, the coming of their Messiah. However, the problem is, He came 2,000 years ago and they delivered Him up to be crucified. They didn't want Him around. They, They didn't accept Him as their Messiah. One reason is He claimed to be God. Another reason is He just didn't fit into their mold. However, neighbor, they call His coming, they still call His coming, the hope, what they perceive as His coming, the hope. Now the Bible calls the second coming of Christ this. Let's find my verse, Titus 2.13. We're to be looking for that blessed hope. The word blessed means extremely fortunate. We're to be looking for that extremely fortunate, that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now I have before me seven reasons. I'm going to try to squeeze them all into a little minutes. Seven reasons that the rapture is our blessed hope. The rapture is our, and I'm saying Christians, is our blessed hope because it's a comforting hope. At the end of that classic passage in First Thessalonians 4, describing the rapture, I quoted it for a little while ago. The very last sentence says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, that word comfort is an interesting word. It means, well, it's the verb form of the word comforter, referring to the Holy Spirit in John 14, John 15, and John 16. It means called alongside to help. It's the very same word translated advocate about Jesus Christ in 1 John 2.1. He's our advocate. He's called alongside to help in a judicial case when Satan would accuse us before the Father. Now the Bible teaches them that the second coming of Christ is a comforting hope. Wherefore, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9-11, comfort yourselves and edify one another. We are to comfort ourselves, we are to comfort and encourage one another by reminding one another Jesus is coming soon. Don't know if I mentioned it earlier this week, I might have, but uh, the mechanic who works on my car, uh, is, uh, over the years we've become pretty good friends. He was saved in our church. As a, a teenager got married now he's got kids that were older than he was then and uh, he's away from the Lord he's out of church he came into he's, he's a very conservative man I mean he 's politically morally very strict conservative he always moans about the fact that the liberal elements of this country is trying to get God out of society and he complains about it. They came into the room where I was sitting, the, the, the lobby, while, while the mechanic, his son, was working on my car, and he said, Andy, he was distraught, he was almost in tears. <laughs> Tall, lanky guy named Kevin. He said, Andy, he said, uh, what in the world is happening in our country? We've been discussing current events. What in the world is happening in our country? What's happening to the United States of America that I grew up in? And I said, Kevin, I can answer your question in four words. Jesus is coming soon. All it is, my precious friend, is God. Hey, and again, you need to step back and take a look at the big picture. God is getting the scene set in the world for His return. So that the tribulation period can begin when we're gone. But the Bible says we're to encourage one another. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. If that doesn't comfort you, if that doesn't encourage you, your affections are tied too close to this life. The rapture is a blessed hope because it's a comforting hope. The rapture is a blessed hope because it's a sure hope. It's not a questionable thing, there's no question about it. The God who cannot lie said, I am coming back. The Lord Himself, not just the Lord. That couldn't mean He said an emissary. The Lord Himself shall descend. Well, the voice, the shout of the voice of the archangel, etc., the trouble of God. Second Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 3. Listen carefully, knowing this first. That there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? What's Peter saying? He's saying, There'll come a day when they'll criticize you and make fun of you for thinking that Jesus is coming back again. Years ago, a previous president, well, President Bill Clinton, had an attorney general named Janet Reno. For obvious reasons, they used to call her Shake and Bake. But she made the statement, I heard her on 60 Minutes, Mike Douglas' 60 Minutes program. She said this, If you believe, among other things, in the second coming of Jesus Christ, you are to be looked on by the government as a cult and a danger To your family. End of her quote. Well, the Bible says in the latter days, the last days, last part of the church age, they'll come and they'll say that. He's not really coming. Where is his promise of his coming? Well, in that same passage of Scripture, if you'll drop down to verse 9, it says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Now it doesn't say promise is. That would be true. He's not slack concerned any, any of them. But it says promise in the singular. What promise? Context. The promise to return. But He's suffering to us worth, Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repent. You know what that means? That means if you're not saved, you might be the reason He's not come yet. I want you to get in before it's too late. If you are saved and you have loved ones who are not, and you haven't done what you can to reach them for Jesus Christ before it's too late, maybe you're the reason. He hasn't come yet, he said, because he's not slack concerning it; He's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come. The, 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 The coming of our Lord for His own is a sure hope. The Bible says in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21, our conversation, that's a word that means our behavior, our, our disciples, our, what's the word I'm looking for? Our citizenship. When I was in school, I know you don't think I went, but I did. Uh, we have, well, on our report card, we get an academic grade and a citizenship grade, behavior grade. That word means citizenship or behavior. Our citizenship, our behavior is in heaven. From whence also the writer said, We look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body. The Bible says in Titus 2.13, We are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 3, I will come again and receive you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. I'm saying, neighbor, over and over and over again, God promises Jesus is coming back. That's the next major event on God's calendar of time. You step back and look at the entire Bible as a whole. Jesus' second coming, the, the portion to the earth, is prophesied all the way through the Old Testament. It's promised by Jesus in John fourteen three. It's predicted by the angels in Acts chapter 1. And that it's preached by every single apostle. Every New Testament writer mentioned the fact that Jesus is coming again. Do you know if time and space devoted to a Bible doctrine has anything at all to do with its importance. And I repeat that. If time and space devoted to a Bible doctrine in the Bible has anything to do with its importance, then without a doubt, the second coming of Christ has got to be the most important doctrine in the Bible. I say that for this reason. In the New Testament, on an average, one out of every 25 verses mentions the second coming. In the Old Testament, when they were to be looking for His first coming, not His second coming, for every mention about the first coming, there are at least eight mentions of the second coming. In the the Gospels and in the New Testament, there's twice as much in the Bible about the second coming of Christ as there is about the blood atonement. The very first mention that Jesus was coming at all, Genesis 3.15, In that announcement, that first mention, God mentions the second coming of Christ before ever mentioning the first coming of Christ. There's only one subject, one topic in all of the Bible that takes up entire chapters. And it's the subject of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And there's only one subject in all of the Bible that takes up entire books in the Bible. Second coming of Jesus Christ. There are 260 chapters in your New Testament. In those 260 chapters, there are at least 318 references to the second coming of Christ. I'm saying, neighbor, if time and space devoted to a doctrine has anything at all to do with its importance, then without a doubt, the second coming of Jesus Christ is the most important doctrine in the Bible. Jesus is coming, and it would not surprise me to find out that the trumpet is out of the case. The second coming or well, the rapture is called a blessed hope because it's a purifying hope. There's nothing, there's nothing in all the world that will set you on fire to live a holy, godly lifestyle mentally, physically, emotionally, in every department of life, like the knowledge that Jesus is coming maybe today. There's nothing in the world that will set you ablaze to bring others to Jesus Christ, especially when they in your circle of friends and loved ones. Like the belief that He's coming soon. If you really, if we really believe that He's coming today, not that He could. He is coming today. We'd be stark raving mad fanatics to what our loved ones to Jesus Christ before it's too late. And now little children, abide in Him so that when He shall appear, John said, we may have confidence and not be ashamed that it's coming. The second coming of Christ is a blessed hope. Because it's a purifying hope. The second coming of Christ is a blessed hope. Because it's a motivating hope. I often think of the rich man. You know the, the account Jesus told. A true historical account of, of the rich man and Lazarus. Uh, he tells him about a rich man that had a lot of money obviously. But was not saved.
1: Who well, had a neighbor who was a
0: beggar named Lazarus. But he was a righteous man. He was a saved man. When the rich man died, he went to hell because he was lost. When the bigger man died, he went to paradise because he was saved. There was a great gulf, insurpassable, fixed between the two, so that one from one side could not get either one to the other side. When the rich man died and went to hell, the first thing he cried out for was mercy for his own soul. He said, Father Abraham, sent Lazarus, for the may dip the tip of this finger in water and cool my tongue. I am tormented in this way. However, when he found out that there was no hope for him, that there was no relief for him, no rest for him, no recess for him, no revelation for him, no redemption for him, he then got concerned about his brothers. He said, then send him, send Lazarus or somebody back. On earth to my Father's house, I've got five brothers that are not saved, lest they also come to this place of torment. He suddenly got motivated. He suddenly got motivated. Now he's concerned. Now he wants a Christian at his gate, but now it's too late. Now he wants his brothers saved, but now it's too late. Now he wants, he's concerned about the spiritual welfare of others. But now it's too late. You mark it down, neighbor. You and I had better be concerned about the spiritual condition of our friends and loved ones and neighbors. Because when Jesus comes, it'll be too late. The trumpet is out of the case. The rapture is called the blessed hope because it's an imminent hope. The second coming of Christ for the rapture has always been imminent. Jesus could have come the day after he arose from the dead. There are no prophecies that have to be fulfilled between the resurrection of Christ and the rapture. All of the prophecies that point to the second coming are fulfilled during the tribulation period, and they point to the second advent of Christ, not to the rapture. Not a single prophecy has to be. He could have come back the day after he arose from the dead. Oh, you say, preacher, they expected him to come back 2,000 years ago, and he didn't come. You know what that means, don't you? That means we're 2,000 years closer than they were. And you look at the big picture, you'll find that's all that matters. His coming has always been imminent. Jesus told the apostles, John 14, I will come again. I receive you unto myself. So that where I you may be also. I'm saying that He could have come in their lifetime. He told them to expect Him to come in their lifetime. And they did. You read, the, you, you read your New Testament carefully. You will find that every single epistle writer, every one of them, expected the Lord to return in their day. Paul said, "...we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together." He thought he'd be alive when Jesus came. The writer of Hebrews said, Yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come. Peter expected them to come in his day. He said, I'm looking for and hasting unto the coming of our Lord. James expected the Lord to come in his day. He said, The coming of the Lord draweth now the judge is at the door. Jude said, We're to be, well, I am looking for the mercy of God in the second coming of Christ. John said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. does not yet appear what we shall be, but we, we know that when He shall appear will be changed. Every single Bible writer in the New Testament expected Jesus to come back in His day. And that's the attitude we ought to have. I mean, after all, We are 2,000 years closer to it than they were. We are to live every day as though Jesus died yesterday, arose today, and is coming back again before tomorrow. Because neighbor, he just might. In the book of Revelation, John introduces the book by saying these things will shortly come to pass. Shortly. He ends the book by saying these things that I've just spoken will shortly come to pass. In the beginning of the book, or closer toward the middle, he said the time is at hand. I'm saying, neighbor, the second coming of Christ is a blessed hope because it's an imminent hope. Jesus might come, could come, wouldn't surprise anybody if he did come before we get out of here. Jesus is coming soon. I'll give me another reason or two. Then you can go home. Maybe. The second coming of Christ is a blessed hope. Because it's a hated hope. Do uh, you realize you know, uh, all the way back. Even as far, as far back as Acts chapter 4. The church is only a few days or a few weeks old. And all the way back in their day. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4. Verse number 2, that the powers that be were grieved and angered because the apostles were preaching, listen carefully, the resurrection from the dead. Now wait a minute. All the way through the Old Testament, they had preached the resurrection of the dead. That is on the subject, on the fact that the dead will rise. Now the apostles are preaching the resurrection from the dead. Some resurrected, some left behind, from. And it grieves the powers that be. Now those spring up in our elected and appointed offices who constantly are criticizing those who believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ rapture is a blessed hope because it's a hated hope. The rapture is a blessed hope because it's a profitable hope. There are five crowns mentioned in the Bible. There's a special crown for the faithful pastor. There's a crown for the martyr. That's what I don't want. They're not a masochistic bone in my body. There's a crown for the soul winner. One of those crowns, Paul wrote about in our text. He said, The crown of righteousness is for all them who love His appearing. There is a special reward for those who learn to live in the light of Jesus' return. Let me draw it to an application. And then you can go home and take a nap. That's what I'm going to do, I think. Um... Are you saved? If you're not saved, listen to me carefully. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 10, 11, and 12. Teach us that if on this side of the rapture, our side, this side of the rapture, you have heard and understood the gospel. Heard and understood. And Jesus comes, and you're not saved. And we're out of here... That will forever shut the door for you to ever have another opportunity to be saved. I say, preacher, if the Lord comes and my loved ones are gone, I know where they're gone. Then I'll just say, no, you won't. You read that passage carefully. If you did not believe before when Jesus comes and we're out of here, God will send you strong confusion. So, you'll believe the lie of the Antichrist while well, well, the rest of us are gone. See, I thought you could get saved anytime you want to. You can. But you won't have the want to unless the Holy Ghost gives it to you. Second Thessalonians 2 10, and 11, and 12 teach that when Jesus comes and you're not saved and you've heard and understood the gospel, that'll shut the door. The trumpet is out of the case. You and I have loved ones who are not saved. Now may, may, may I remind you again, the trumpet is out of the case. Oh preacher, one day I'll go and see them. One day I'll call them on the phone. One day I'll email them or send them a Pony Express letter. And I'll witness to them. Hey, you better do it now. You better not wait. The trumpet is out of the case. Uh, turn to me. Let me show you this, then I'm finished. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23. That's in the Old Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first and second, Hezekiah, Jeremiah. Well, not in that order. Look at Jeremiah chapter 23. And Isaiah and Jeremiah both, when you see... The phrase the day is coming or the days come. You mark it down, that's a prophetic section. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah twenty three. And it's in the context of the second coming. Look at verse five. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, millennium. And a king shall reign and prosper millennium, which occurs. When Jesus returns to earth. Verse 6. His days In his day Judah shall be saved. Now look at verse 7. Therefore behold. The days come. That they shall no more say. The Lord liveth which brought up the children. Out of the land of Egypt. That's south. But. Here's what they'll say. The Lord liveth which brought. And led the seed of the house of Israel. Out of the north country. Wait a minute. They've always called Israel, they've always called God. The Lord who brought His children out of Egypt, south, and brought them north to Canaan, promised land. But God says in that passage, and in two or three other places in Jeremiah, there's coming a day, connected with the second coming of Christ. Well, they won't call me anymore. The God who brought His children out of the south, they'll call me. The God who brought His children out of the north. I'm not going to set a date by any means. But you look on any map or globe, and you notice the, I think it's called longitude line that goes north and south. The line that goes right and brushes the edge of of Jerusalem goes right through and brushes the edge of Moscow, Russia. Now wait a minute. With that in mind, 15% Of the population of Israel right now is Russian Jews. Fifteen percent out of the world, that's a pretty good sized number. In the last two or three years, 1.7 million have migrated from Moscow and surrounding areas of Russia back to Israel. In 2019, that's only three years ago, There were 73.8% of all immigrants to Israel came from Russia. Three-fourths came from the North Country. In this year, 2022, from January to July, 28,246 Russians migrated to Israel. Now, I'm not setting the dates, but I'm telling you, God said, in the context of the second coming, that just before I return, they won't call me anymore. The God who brought his children out of the South, Egypt, they'll call me the God who brought his children from the North. The trumpet is out of the case. I don't know when he's coming. Yeah. I suppose I'd have to admit he could delay us coming. I'd say delay, that would not be the way to say it. He he might not come for another 20 years, but who knows? He could come before you get out of here. I'll guarantee you this. The trumpet is out of the case. Would you stand with me, please? With heads bowed and eyes closed. Sister, if you'll come and play an invitation song. When you get to the piano, just begin it. And may I say the altar's open. If you're not saved, why don't you come? Take the preacher by the hand and say, I want to be saved. I want to get it settled before it's too late. If you are saved and you've got loved ones you're praying for, why don't you come and find a place on an old-fashioned altar and promise God that in the light of His...